Before we jump into today's episode, I want to thank and support all of those of you that are listening to this show and all the episodes that we've got so far. If you want to continue to support the podcast, one of the best ways you can do that is to click the button and to subscribe and to share those episodes that your friends and family may find helpful. We want to spread the message of hope throughout our world. Also, another great way for you to support the podcast is to give us a five-star rating because that helps us with the algorithm. Now, one of the best ways you can support us is to tell your married Catholic friends to head on over to Hearts Renewed. At Hearts Renewed, what we did was we wanted to answer the question, what makes a remarkable marriage? You know, the kind of marriage that makes other people scratch their head and wonder, why are they so happy? What's different about those guys? So we made answering that question our mission. And we studied what the masters of marriage have in common and designed an all-online program for imperfect Catholic couples that want remarkable marriages. And what the people are loving about the program is that it's just so simple. It all begins with attention. Whatever we focus on gets bigger. And But for many of us, what we focus on in our marriages is our problems. And with all the problem solving, we get exhausted and it leaves us with, with a shell of the kind of marriages that we actually want. We say we want to work on our marriages, but we never have the time. Hearts Renewed removes all those excuses. The program will run you through the relationship boot camp to build a rock solid foundation of habits that you can work from right away. Our system of strategic conversations feels more like a game that you play on a date night rather than a deliberate set of exercises designed from cutting edge relationship science and thousands of years of Catholic teaching. Our system will quickly teach you how to find the bright spots in your marriage and turn you back on to the people who said, I do. And you'll become the masters of your own love story and recognize the patterns of your own success. Then you'll learn to apply those strengths and resources that you discover together to the situations that you face today and build the marriage you always wanted. With Hearts Renewed, there are no more excuses to getting the marriage you want. We have the trust of the faithful, no awkward conversations or confusion from a secular marriage guru to make you uncomfortable. We're backed by solid Catholic theology and philosophy. With Hearts Renewed, we believe no one knows more about your marriage more than you, and our goal is to give you the universal tools to build the marriage that you want. With Hearts Renewed, there are no child care concerns, no babysitter required. You can do it from the comfort and privacy of your own home whenever you want to. And there's no ridiculous fees. Most couples finish the whole program in 90 days, which means that for most people, it's less than the cost of three date nights out with your spouse. So it's time to move from the marriage survival mode to the kind of marriage that will make your kids uncomfortable and your friends jealous. So go to heartsrenewed.org. Now back to our show. Smuggling Hope, Episode 39, The Sabbath and the Science of Energy Management. A seasoned hunter had spent his early morning hunting in the woods, but he had yet to catch anything. Now, coming back empty-handed, he was a little irritated and a little bit hungry and tired. And as he approached his village, he found one of the elders of the village, one of the wisest men, laying in a hammock. And as he approached the outskirts of the village and passed by the, the old man, he asked him, Why are you laying around? It's almost midday. What gives you the right to just lay around? You're supposed to be one of the wisest in our town. The old man sat up in the hammock and looked at the young hunter, and he asked him what he had been doing. And the hunter said, Well, look at me. I have a, a bow and I have some arrows. Of course, I'm a hunter. That's what I was doing all morning. Well, if you're such a good hunter, I want you to go direct your bow over at that tree and shoot an arrow. And so the hunter 
did, just as he was told. He shot an arrow. And then the wise man said, okay, now shoot another one. And the hunter did a second time. And then the wise man said a third time, now shoot another arrow. And the hunter, a little perplexed at this point, said, oh, okay, and he shot a, a third one. And again, the wise man proceeded to ask him to shoot another arrow, at which point the hunter, irritated, looked at him and said, my good sir, like if I sat here all day shooting arrows, I'm going to break my bow. And to which the wise man replied, now you know why I'm laying here. In our world, we are addicted to complexity, and yet we crave simplicity. It's kind of one of the, the, the main problems of our modern time is that in our efforts to achieve success, we rid ourselves of the enjoyment of our life. You know, with big houses and big cars and all these nice responsibilities, we spend, spend very little time with the things that would be the most crucial, simple pleasures of life. We have a very hard time slowing down. We have a very hard time, you know, organizing our life so that we have a fullness in it. Now, most people are familiar with time management. You know, if you're a, a leader, if you run a company, if you run a household, you're familiar with time management. And time management is, is a crucial thing. And most of us, if we spend some time and effort, we can manage our time well. But that does not necessarily mean that we manage our energy well. So this episode is really dedicated to giving us the tools of how to extend the amount of energy that we have in our life so that we have a fullness and a richness to our life. Oftentimes in our pursuit of more and busyness and industrialness and achieving things, we remove the opportunities for us to really you know, enjoy our life. And I want you to realize that your life, you know, the, your life expands to the degree you have energy, more energy, more experience of life very little energy, very little experience of life. And our brains are, in many ways, uh, misers. Uh, they, they look for ways to steal energy in different ways and conserve it. And we have to be aware of that. And so uh, I want to talk about how we utilize the Sabbath or a day of rest, really to restore ourselves effectively. Because I think some of us have gotten into tr to, to real bad you know, traps. One of the traps I've been in for a while, and, and I think that this is something that I'm trying to break now, is that for a long time, I would work very difficult, very hard, and then I would look forward to a weekend, or I would work even more diligently and more intently and, and more furiously, and then look forward to a vacation. And so there's a danger in that, right? Because now I'm waiting for a specific event, a moment, right? A week, two weeks, whatever it is. You know, some people are bound up in working very hard so that they can one day retire, which I feel like for many people is a terrible trap in the sense that, you know, they may, may never really retire anyway. Some people don't want to retire, but some people, again, you may not live to retirement. And I want you to think about something. Every day, if you work a normal eight-hour day, some of you may work more or less, some of you may be at home with your children, but every day when the kids go down or you come back from work, you're going to have anywhere from one to three hours. Everybody has that, that much time where they are not doing certain things. And, you know, you know, once all the general functions are done, the laundry, the dishes are put away, the kids are put to sleep, you have to start to think about how to produce a life 
a life that is fulfilling and to build up so that the things that are of critical importance, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with yourself, your health, God, do you have habits in place so your quality of life is improving? See, a lot of people, they live their life, they, they're very industrial, they work very hard, and yet they do not develop the habits that, you know, would allow their life to be enriched, right? It's it's instead, you know, just, just surviving till you get to the next port of call to to come up for air. That that's 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 damaging, I think, because we were then losing large parts of our life. Instead of improving the quality of our overall life, we're suspending that, waiting for some perfect moment or some moment of leisure. And, you know, that's perverted our understanding, in my opinion, of leisure. I know it destroyed my understanding. Instead, I almost found it to be something that I could be self-indulgent in. And people say all the time, I need my time. Where's my time? Mommy needs her time. Daddy needs his time. And this this whole thing, right, you know, people will say like, well, I'm sorry, I wasted your time. And the truth is, is it's not my time. It's God's time. But what does God say about time? And the Sabbath really is, again, the Sabbath is for man. It's not for God. And one of the things that the Sabbath does, the day of rest, is it helps us to sanctify time. It helps us to magnify our awareness of how we're spending that gift, that finite gift. There's only so much time in a day. So what did you do with it? Did you connect with your wife? Did you call your mother? Did you spend time with your your, your little sister or your, 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 your older brother? Did you call you know, your grandmother, you know, did you, pl- you know, practice the piano? Did you, you know, read about the things that you were interested in, in history or in physics? Did you paint your painting? You know, what did you do? And again, we are human beings, not human doings. And so if we want to be, if we want to be more and do less, so to speak, which is one of the things that I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm recording this in preparation for the Lenten move you know, because, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, it is Ash Wednesday um, at the time that this this first recording is coming out. And so, again, the, the movement now is to be more and to do less. There is no need to constantly be doing, you know, doing, doing, doing this bopping around this restlessness. Right. You know, Jesus doesn't run anywhere. And yet we run everywhere. We're running from soccer field to, to date night, to our friend's funeral our, you know, to our retirement party, to our, you know, whatever. We're running to and through our life without really experiencing what God has for us. And we're not experiencing, you know, what we should because, again, we, we when we run out of energy, uh, we, we speed up and our fear grips us, right? You know, and so, you know, when break this down so that we know how to slow down and to expand, to expand the depth of the moments that we have, to expand the, the fulfillment of our life in the moments of every day, um, because we really only we really only function in 24 hours in a day, right? So instead of working for the weekend like they used to sing about in the 80s, you know, everybody's working for the weekend, right? Well, we have to figure out how to live and love in the day and to live a life that is fulfilling. So one of the big things you want to realize is that in the span of your week, you want to have a day that you can pause, right? And so whether that is traditionally Sunday, right? You know, and uh, 
in the uh, the the time for the, the the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, their their Sabbath is not Sunday. Their Sabbath is Saturday, right? Um, but for us as Catholics, uh, our our day of rest is Sunday. It's just important that we have a day of rest. Otherwise, if we don't come away from the speed of life, we can't go out and actually, you know, uh, you know, really be present. You know, a lot of times people are very fixated on these new concepts, or I wouldn't even say they're new concepts. They're, they're just new language about old concepts. And, and one of the big ones is mindfulness and being present, being in the present moment. You can't be in the present moment effectively from what I've experienced and what I've seen and what I've read, unless you have an ability to pause, you know, to, you know, little pauses throughout your day and really a big pause on one day of the week. And that becomes really important, just like brakes on a car. If you slow down, you can see things, right? If you're going through your day, just like if you're driving in your car and you're driving your car and you're going 75, 80 miles an hour on the interstate, you don't see much. Things blend together and you, um, you miss things. You miss a lot of things. And that speed is dangerous because like I said, you can be on a race to vacation. You can be on a, a race to the weekend. You can be on a race to your fishing trip or retirement. But that means that if you go and you focus at such a great speed, you're going to miss and make large errors, right? So one of the keys to energy management is to have a day of rest, to pause, right? To conserve energy and to really collect yourself. If you don't collect yourself at least one time throughout the week, you end up still being spread very thin. And so what do I mean by this? Well, you know, let's say, for instance, there is a, you know, on, on Sunday, people find it to be the time where they are going to mow the lawn. They're, they find it to be the time where they're going to go grocery shopping. They find it to be the time that they're going to do whatever. That means that their attention is still scattered, right? They're not able to really enjoy their home or their relationships. They're, they're filling that space, that time with more busyness. And in truth, I mean, you, you want to think that there are things in your life that give you energy and things that take it away. And you really don't want to be doing additional things on a day of rest that really take your energy away. And so I have no problem going with my children to a movie. Um, because it's a way that I relax and it gives me energy. I have no problem going out shooting, um, you know, with a friend or with one of my kids. I don't have a problem with that or my wife because it gives me energy. It makes me feel relaxed. It's not work. And so there's a big difference between work and leisure, right? And so we want to avoid, I mean, doing unnecessary work on a day of rest. Why? because it gets in the way of being able to collect yourself and start to give yourself the energy that you need so that you can purposefully move through the next six days after that day, right? You want to be able to move purposefully and not, not anxiously, not busily, right? I think one of the big illnesses of this world right now is busyness. I'm too busy to spend time with my family. I'm too busy to spend time with my friends. I'm too busy to, to call my mother, to spend time with my, my, my friends, to, you know, do whatever, you know, just too busy. But what, who is the mastermind behind this busyness? And again, 
it, it is, I think, a massive overlay of distraction and urgency um, predicated on people. You know, why is it that we feel we must fill every empty space in our life with busyness, with more work, with more industriousness? And if you're an American, you're going to realize that our quality of life and our quality of, of health is negatively impacted by our obsession with being busy. You know, we die and we, you know, we die and we have a higher mortality rate than the Europeans. And frankly, the Europeans drink and smoke, um, you know, a, a little bit more than we do. And, and it's kind of like a, you would think that, yeah, well, maybe there's something to this slowing down, right? Something to, you know, rest. And again, we, we don't like to listen to that, though. We like to work and work harder. But again, I, I think that, that's, that, that, that that can bring us into uh, danger because then we can injure ourselves. So step one is to pick a day of rest. Keep away all unnecessary work. If you're going to do things on that day, do the things that give you energy. And, you know, on an earlier podcast, you know, when I talked about mental immunity, right, if you want to go back to in the beginning, you know, of, of this podcast series, um, there'll be a, a, an episode on mental immunity. You know, and one of the things we talked about there, I'll talk about now, is, is the areas of balance in a person's life. And so one of the areas is your physical body. You know, your, your sleep, diet, and exercise. The second area that we can target is the intellectual life, meaning your mind, the ideas you have, the crafts, the hobbies, the art, things that you're interested in. The third area of life is your emotional life or the relationships you have with people. And then the fourth dimension of balance is spiritual, meaning what connects you to a sense of higher purpose and meaning in your life. And so on a day of rest, it is powerful, right, to minister to all four of those areas, the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, and the spiritual. So let's say if it's a Sunday for me, you know, that's a day where I assume I'm going to go to Mass because I normally go to Mass on Sunday. So that's a spiritual move, right, to, you know, commune with God, go to, go to Mass. And then on that day, maybe there's a family dinner in the evening where I'm going to be with family I don't always see, and we're going to share a meal. So that, that is something that is uh, an emotional, uh, you know, cue, right? An emotional fulfillment there. Whether it's a sibling, whether it's a family member, extended family member, I'm going to see some people, you know, or maybe I'm just going to go for a walk with my children or with my wife, you know, and if I did that, I would also be hitting my physical um, dimension, right? So I'd be ministering to myself physically. And being in balance, right? So sometimes on a Sunday, maybe I'll take a nap. Sometimes I'll go and exercise. A lot of times recently, what I've been doing is going to the gym with one of my sons because they like to exercise and it's a good thing to do or go for a run, you know? And then, and then again, you know, intellectually, what are you going to do? Well, maybe that's a day where you watch a documentary or you read a book you've been putting off reading, or you, you listen to a podcast or you watch a film or you, you know, it, it could be anything. Make, 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 make art, make a meal, bake a cake. If you do all four of those things, though, in the span of a day, what you find is that your experience of time gets distorted and it gets extended, right? Meaning like the day seems much longer. And I encourage you to try to do it at least one time, you know, after you listen to this podcast to try to pick a day of rest and try to hit all four of those areas. 
physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And it's important that you really, you know, maybe even before you, you, you do that, is to really quantify in your mind, what are the things that can give me energy? Because a lot of times we don't think about that. We don't think about what it is that actually gives us energy. Because what gives me energy at times does not give my wife energy and vice versa, right? And so, you know, for me to go bake a cake might be not what I want to do, right? You know, maybe going for a walk might be what it is that's going to give me energy. But then maybe another day it's taking a nap, right? Some days it might be meeting with uh, extended family for a meal or a party. Other days, what I really find is going to give me energy is, is, you know, time alone with one of my kids or time alone with my wife. So it's not, a, it's not just a, you know, a, a one-dimensional thing. You have to know where it is um, that you gain energy and where it is that you lose it, though. Um, because the more energy you have, the more you can you know, extend, extend your, um, your experience of your daily life. And that's why like, a day of rest is so powerful, because it gives you the ability to pause and reflect. The other thing that I, I find that is very helpful when I do it, and again, you know, keeping with these protocols are hard to do. So I do, I do these things. I do them. I, do I do them faithfully all the time? I would, I would love to tell you yes, but these things are, are things that even I myself sometimes fall off with. But one of the other things that is very powerful on your day of rest is to really systematically organize your week so that you can conserve your energy throughout the week. Now, energy, for the most part, especially mental energy, is wasted due to decisions. And as I said on this podcast many times, the more decisions you have to make on a given day, the more stress you experience. So if we want to reduce stress, like the negative forms of stress, we want to decrease the need for decisions. And one of the best ways we can do uh, do that is really to give the mind a focus on a daily. So whether that's one thing or two things or three things, I hesitate to go beyond that, you know, unless you're a seasoned veteran at this approach. But it's really to give yourself a um, intent for the day, um, a way for your attention to be collected, right? A, a rendezvous point of of attention. So, for instance, you know, when I'm doing this podcast episode, the thing that is on my list that is most important for me to do today is to um, sand down the ceiling in my kitchen because having to repair that. And that's something that in many ways I get a sense of accomplishment from. And it's hard to get at because there's a lot of other things that I would be distracted by or procrastinate by doing far, far more easily or far, far more easy for me to, um, you, know, uh, you know, avoid sanding down the ceiling in my kitchen. But it's on my list. So it allows me to conserve my mental energy so that I can be prepared and move through my day more easily because I know that's where I need to end up, you know, you know, and so again, if the mind has a focus, it knows what's important. A lot of times people do not have a focus for their day. And if you don't have a focus, what happens is your mind fractures. It, it essentially doesn't know how to distinguish what's important from what's not important. And then the mind spirals, right? And that's where the stress comes from because I don't know what's important. It seems like everything's important and it seems that nothing's important at the same time. And that's overwhelming for the mind. And so we get very little done. And so in the beginning, I encourage people just to on a Sunday or whatever your day of rest is, is list out the other days of the week aside from the day of rest. So maybe it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And under that day, 
try to record one or two things that would give you a great sense of accomplishment that fall under those four um, pillars of balance that we talked about, the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual. So for instance, maybe Monday on your list, it's going to say something like work out, or maybe it's going to say pray the rosary. Or on Tuesday, it's going to say, you know, um, follow up with your dentist, you know, because maybe you've been putting that off, but that would be good for your body. Or maybe Wednesday, it's, it's you know, it's going to be something that you got to make sure that you, um, uh, you know, you know, spend an extra, you know, little bit and play a game with one of your kids, because maybe that's the kid who's acting up the most and needs more attention, um, needs that relationship rebuilt. So on Wednesday, you're going to make a priority, again, of attention to be present with that kid. And so every day has a focus or maybe one or two focuses just to start. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then when it comes to the day of rest, that day really is, again, a day where you're not trying to be busy. It's a day where you're just pausing. And you really only want to have it be something where you reset for the next week. So you sit down and you plan out your weeks uh, ahead. And again, it, it, this is not a to-do list. I mean, this is one of the things people people struggle with. If So if you are a person who likes to make to-do lists, and I'm sure people are going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh, well, I do to-do lists and I become an obsessive list maker. Yes. I mean, in a lot of ways, people become obsessive list makers because they decide that they have to do things, but they don't know when. And if you don't know when you're going to do something, well, then you stress yourself out. And then it creates a cognitive load in your brain where your brain is having to figure out when it's going to get to that event. And it never has, a lot of times it, it never has the motivation because motivation is a very, psychologically, it's a very infrequent trait, meaning like it's it's really not reliable, right? I, I mean, I'm not motivated to go to work. It's a habit. It's scheduled. I'm sure kids are listening to this. You're not motivated to go do your schoolwork, but you do it because it's scheduled, because it's expected. You know, people, you know, scheduling, believe it or not, is 96, uh, 96% more effective than motivation in accomplishing a task, right? So that's from research. That's not something I made up. And so if you make a decision about when you're going to do these behaviors, you're going to be way more effective. And, and it, you're going to conserve your energy throughout the week and bolster your sense of accomplishment because you will have, you will have gotten to the priority of the day. But every day should have essentially a priority. But without a day of pause, you really can't have a battle plan on how to how to deal with this. And so for a lot of people, they get obsessive or they procrastinate a lot or kids in high school, college, like they put off certain things. Again, you know, just, you know, we want to kind of uh, have that priority every day. And, and maybe the priority needs to be shrunk. Like, let's say if you're a kid in a college and you're got to do a like a five page research report or a 15 page research report well maybe you know even though it's due the first week of march well maybe you know a couple days this week you're going to spend an hour or an hour and a half on that report you know whether that's doing research but it's you just have to be with that information for an hour or hour and a half a couple times this week that's way more accessible to the brain than trying to complete the whole task if a task is too big, the mind loses interest to begin it. That's where procrastination comes in. So if you tell me to go and clean out my garage, I'm literally going to freak out because I think that there's a bunch of animals living in my garage and I would rather just burn the sucker to the ground. But 
if I, you know, so to say clean the whole garage, well, that's just, that's so unmotivating because it's such a big space and it's so, uh, so many parts to cleaning it that I have to break that into small pieces, right? So maybe it's Monday is sweep the whole thing out or Tuesday, you know, or Thursday or Saturday is, you know, get all the garbage out and get, you know, get all the garbage bagged up. Or maybe it'll be just spend an hour in the garage. You know, always looking for ways to shrink the change, especially if something's big, because otherwise we start to waste mental energy. And, and that's important. You know, when we think about, you know, this strategy of, of scheduling out your weeks, it's powerful, believe it or not, because your mind, your mind only has about five hours of focused mental energy a day, meaning that, you know, time to pull, uh, you know, five hours of focused mental energy to pull on to create new habits and to make, um, you know, decisions. Most of the rest of the, the time, what we're operating with outside of that five hours is, is um, operational habit, right? So if you're a surgeon and you have to do a 12-hour surgery, well, a lot of that is not going to be drawing upon your willpower. There's a lot of habit and skill that you've created where you're not using mental, um, you're not using mental decision-making the whole time. Um, that's how we can do these very intense tasks is because the human mind is designed to compound habits. You know, so when I walk to my car, I'm not thinking about walking to my car. I just do it. Same thing when I chew my food. Same thing when a violinist starts to practice the violin. You know, there are, there are habits to play the chords or strum the, you know, the musical instrument or whatever you're doing. Um, and then the learning part, anything that's new, novel, that starts to draw upon the mental resources. And so, again, having a schedule, having a structure helps us to protect that reserve of mental energy so we're not dipping into it all the time. Because if we're dipping into it all the time, we, we end up at some point running the risk of, of kind of going into um, default mode where we're just seeking out pleasure or we're getting kind of into a slump, right? Um, where we just feel depressed or we just feel crummy because um, we don't have the energy to fulfill tasks or we get anxious because we've procrastinated our report for the 15th time and it's due tomorrow, right? And what's the good news about that is, is now that you've procrastinated your, um, you know, your report for 15 times and it's due tomorrow at 7 a.m., is that your body, because it's going to get so stressed, is going to release norepinephrine and adrenaline to get you super focused on your report. And you're going to bang that thing out tonight and do an all-nighter, which is terrible, I mean, in one way. But in another way, it's, it's, it's a remarkable ability for the brain to focus so intensely. So just, just realize that if you're a procrastinator, which I, I would say most people are, we just don't all procrastinate about the same things. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so again, want to break the week into pieces of priority so we can serve our mental energy. Now, as you think about how to, again, manage your energy, one of the things that can be very powerful is to manage the objects in the space around you. Every object has essentially um, a decision that has to be made about it by the mind. Uh, the brain, the brain actually, the brain structure that is is most uh, affiliated with the organizational structures of your environment is called the hippocampus. I've talked about that on this podcast at other times when we talk about increasing learning and and, and what we call neurogenesis, generating new brain cells. That's also where that's produced, is in the hippocampus. 
And so if you think about a hoarder, a hoarder is somebody who usually has a pretty intense level of OCD experience where they cannot part with objects because they have, they, they've gotten to a place where they compulsively feel a terror in separating from objects that have usually little to no value. They might actually start collecting garbage and, and keeping it in part because that um, those objects in many ways, um, you know, the, the mind has a sense of, uh, of fear um, with removing it. Now, going back to the, the, the energy flow, though, is energy in many ways, you know, it can be sustained and improved by the way that we organize our physical space. If you're in a space that's very untidy or dirty or chaotic, it becomes very stressful and the mind can't relax if it's very disordered. So this is a big reason why you want your kids to clean their rooms and reset their environments. You know, I think that that's a better way to, to, to describe it rather than cleaning your room. It's reset your environment, right? You're about to sleep. Is your bed made? You're, we're about to eat at the table. Did you put away the dishes? Did you clean the table? But space around you, look for what the objects are that you have in your bedroom, in your living room. How are things arranged? Um, because every object either will give you energy or it will take it away and distract you. And the Japanese are very, um, I, I guess, like leagues ahead about this, right? And then years ago, there was a woman named, um, you know, Kanamari. I think that there's a thing called the, the Kanamari Method, which is a which was a young Japanese woman who was an organizational, essentially an organizational guru to show people um, how to organize their homes. I think it is called the KonMari method. And, uh, you know, realistically, what she does with the people is she comes into their homes and helps them to beautify their home by removing things that get in the way of them enjoying the space around them. And there is something both neurologically true about this, as well as I, I think, you know, uh, mentally and, and uh, spiritually. You know, if, if we're surrounded by items that bother us, upset us, you know, we, we have to figure out how to organize those things. We have to figure out how to dispose of things that take up too much space or, or rob us of, of joy. And so that's one of the things that, you know, that method practices is to go through your space and recognize these objects. You know, does this object have a home? You know, so to speak, does it have a place in my home? Does this object serve a function, right? You know, such as a dog's water dish does it serve a function yes the dog needs a water dish yes i need a computer for work and then the third criteria really is does this uh, honestly spark joy does this spark joy does this because joy in many ways promotes energy right and, and again people struggle with this because a lot of objects in people's homes are left over from other seasons of life you know i know people that have kept their children's bedrooms completely intact, even though that child has moved out and has their own children now, but they've kept all of the same toys or, you know, they've kept the room the same as when their, 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 you know, their spouse was alive. And, and again, you know, there's something about the, um, uh, the sacredness of remembering people and remembering times gone by at the same time, what we remember has an impact on the energy that we have. And some of us, you know, maybe we even enjoy being sad, and I'm not an expert on why that might be. But if, if, if things become, you know, um, too many things, you know, uh, distract or, you know, bring, you know, uh, a distraction from the present moment, 
that you're going to find that your energy level goes down and it's hard for your mind to recognize where things are. It's hard for you to relax. And then, um, it, it becomes, uh, you know, difficult. So, you know, one of the things I encourage people to do is as they're organizing their week and they're, you know, um, prioritizing their days is, is to go also through the spaces of your home and, and what needs to be repaired or reordered um, so that you feel more and more joy in your living space. Okay. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, for me, like, again, I might go through my home on a Sunday and I may see like, well, this needs to be repaired. That needs to be repaired. This needs to be fixed. And it's important that I write that down. I'm not going to do that work, but at least I will have started to prioritize the week with that in mind. Well, then this week is a week I have to call a person to, you know, um, you know, get an estimate to fix my gutter, right? Or this week I have to, you know, you know, again, pick up a, a gallon of paint so that I can touch up my paint in my home. I mean, so that becomes important because space, physical space gives us energy and, and it gives us peace and joy or it takes it away and makes us stressed. It, it, it makes us want to leave. And, and don't confuse this with cleanliness. A clean space, it can be ordered, but clean spaces can also make, make us terribly anxious, right? Um, you know, the, the Japanese have this term they call wabi-sabi. Now, with wabi-sabi, what that means in Japanese culture is that there is a rev, uh, you know, uh, you know, a uh, uh, sacredness to the impermanence of things, right? And so, you, you, you know, people find to treasure things in, in their weakness or imperfection. So, we don't want to keep our homes so pristine that we can't live in them. We also don't want to be so ashamed of them that we don't want to invite people in. You know, so it's it's a really difficult balance. But I think that the the, the goal of of having an understanding that your your home is an impermanent structure, meaning that it's it's not going to be your home forever. You're just passing through. And so, like sometimes, you know, you know, the, the, maybe there are you know certain things that you know. Uh, they're they're imperfect and so finding i guess the beauty in the imperfections you know finding that and being okay with that and 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 sometimes in japanese homes they will actually accentuate that so that you know people feel um you know again it extends people's almost spiritual understanding of the sacredness of time um, and the fact that we're all going away which I think is a very powerful Christian understanding, especially when it comes to the fact that this life is temporary. So pay attention to your space. Pay attention to the way you design it. Does it give you stress? Does it give you anxiety? You know, what's your attitude towards your space? Can you organize it, right? So, so far we've organized our week, right? You know, we've organized our week. We've started to think about, well, where can we get energy? Where, we can, where can we schedule more energy? you know, and, um, you know, and, and like, how can we organize our days, you know, and, and our space now. And, and now we have to really think about, you know, the, the practical things. If we're wanting more energy, right, obviously the scheduling is going to have a huge impact. We also want to think and take care of the foods that we eat and the way that we treat our body. So sleep is a huge thing. Scheduling sleep, 
demanding that we get appropriate amounts of sleep, especially if we have like a lot of children or we have work or we, we need to perform. Obviously, we need to sleep. Sleep is one of the most undervalued things, I think, in American culture. We almost brag about how little we get of it. But believe it or not, now in the, uh, the growing culture of wealth, the, the new wealth, at least for these uh, the billionaire boys clubs, uh, in the world is, um, you know, really how much sleep are you getting and to get more than enough or definitely adequate amounts of sleep. Because if you don't have sleep, you're not going to have the energy to participate in your life or pay attention. And you're not going to have the ability to heal from your exercise routine and you're not going to make good decisions. So study the things that you do physically that give you energy and the things that take them away physically, right? If you are laying around all the time, does that give you energy or does it take it away? Sometimes you have to rest. Sometimes you really need to rest. And sometimes that rest turns into laziness and or it turns into fatigue or melancholy. And so, again, you know, what gives you energy? The foods you put in your mouth, you know, whether it's alcohol, whether it's potato chips, whether it's a salad, whether it's a steak or whether it's uh, you know lean chicken, whatever it is that you're eating, pay attention. Does it give you energy or does it take it away? And again, I'm not here to uh, you know demonize any food groups or to be a dietitian. You have to be a, a, your own scientist here. Certain things give you energy. Some of it you know takes it away, and and you want to restrict those foods that are going to destroy your energy and give you a different quality of life. Um, and, you know, so, so keep in mind of the physical, the sleep, the diet, the exercise, because if the body is, does not have the energy, the body will not be able to fulfill the desires of the mind. And that's when people get really depressed because they have a desire to write a book or play with their kids or romance their spouse, but they don't have any energy. So the other thing now is, is to turn towards, you know, the, the books you read, you know, the films you watch, you know, the news you listen to, and again, the diet you feed your mind, does it give you energy or does it take it away? Does it consume you with grief and anxiety? Does it frustrate you in your relationships? Do you find yourself dissatisfied after you binge watch TikTok videos about how these people are making billions of dollars or living in their penthouses. I mean, are you dissatisfied or are you excited to go out and do something new? You know, but pay attention to the diet you feed your mind and make sure that you're feeding your mind ideas, content, images, videos, books, plays, music, especially that gives you energy. You don't want to give yourself things that just could, you know, really make you, you know, um, fatigued, you know, so that's, that's another area you want to assess and build up. And, and you know, the, uh, the, the next one is your relationships, right? Like we talked about these areas of balance. If you're paying attention, now we're talking about how these areas of balance give us or take, give or take away energy. So with relationships, you have to be aware of that there is a balance in relationships. There are people in your life that you are obligated, right? by duty or by honor to really spend time with. Maybe you really need to because they're your children or your parents or your grandparents or, you know, you know, and, and, but it takes energy. I love my children. I, I really do. And, and sometimes they give me energy. 
A lot of times though, I need more energy because they take the energy away. I enjoy what I do with them, but I need to have a reserve. That's why the physical stuff is so important. That's why the ideas I have in my head have to be really organized. And we have to have habits because our children, our spouses, our families, our work, our careers, our dreams, they need us to be uh, organized in such a way as to be able to give maximum energy output. Um, you know, otherwise we fall into really bad, you know, depression cycles. So that is another thing that I want you to really think about is with people, trying to build up relationships with people who will give you energy, you know, um, instead of being around people that in many ways take that energy away. You're going to be out of necessity around people that are going to take energy and they're entitled to it because you love them, you know, and but you have to figure out how to counterbalance that with, you know, a desire, you know, to be with people who are going to fill you up. And um, for a lot of married couples, that means not neglecting your, your same gendered friends, right? Guys should hang out with guys every once in a while. Women should hang out with women every once in a while. You, you don't need to just be obsessed with each other. You know, it's also obviously important to spend time with one, spend time with one another. But that's not always a realistic aim because you have work responsibilities. And if you have a family, you're going to need to invest in the people that you brought into, into your family in terms of your children or if you have extended family living with you. There's a responsibility to these relationships. And if you start to become irresponsible, you're going to find that that starts to like hemorrhage energy because now you're super distracted by the chaos of those relationships. So relationships are a huge component because they, they preoccupy our minds, right? And we think about our relationships all the time, you know, and maybe not consciously, but we know that if things are bad with our spouse or with our kids or with our parents, like we really, we can't really focus. You know, if, if my, 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 my family member is in the hospital or, you know, not doing good or going for cancer treatment, I, I'm not... I have some part of my mind is focused on that person and they're suffering, you know? So, so make sure that you're aware of your relationships and the energy that you get from those relationships. And it's important that you start building up more and more of the relationships that give you energy. You know, um, I, I was looking at research, which I think is interesting, kind of inconclusive so far, but seems to be pretty much on the money is that widowers, right, men who've lost their wives, they don't do very well compared to women, right, that lose their husbands. Like women who lose their husbands apparently do okay more of the time than not. And why is that? Well, a lot of men say that their wives are their best friend, which sounds romantic and that's wonderful. But also it means that many men... I think like, I think at least 25% of men right now, so one in four have no friends at all, right? And that means if their wife passes away, this person is, you know, the, 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 there's not a lot of diffusion of energy or connection in a man's life. And so if his wife dies, you know, he in many ways is without any of these relationships. He may not have invested in his relationships with his kids. He may not have kept up with his own friends. So super important that we keep connection with our same gendered friends, 
in general, women, I mean, the research made sense to me because the women obviously have a lot of times closer relationship with their children, especially as their children get older. And they have various uh, extend, extended relationships with people in the community um, where, again, men do not seem to excel. So I encourage you to, again, have relationships that give you energy. And, um, again, you know that, that's an important thing. Now, one of the things that really robs people at times of, of, uh, of the joy of the present moment and of, um, you know, just, just of the energy in their life because it is these, a lot of, a lot of fears about loss and, you know, cause all fear pretty much is fear of loss, whether it's loss of respect, loss of a relationship, um, you name it, right? It could be any number of things, right? Um, well, what reduces those fears and gives us a greater confidence in life and not just here, but in the life to come is to look for ways to continue to increase in love. The more that you increase in love, the less fear is in your life. And, you know, the more you're able to uh, integrate all of these practices for energy management so that you have a full life, right? Because the goal really is to have a full life. Uh, and that's the point of this this whole this whole episode is really if we want to have a full life, we have to have the energy. And again, the, the crown jewel of all this is really the spiritual life. And to figure out right now, where, where is it that I need to increase in love? Where is it that I need to increase in the reflections of God in myself? And so as we sit on like the eve of, uh, you know, you're listening to this on you know, uh, maybe Ash Wednesday, you know, you know, as we're sitting approaching Lent or any preparation for, um, you know, the future of our life, especially, you know, preparing for the end of our life, you know, whether you're 20 or whether you're 104, you know, we really need to be thinking about where we can increase in love. And I encourage you to bring that with you as you think about and reflect on what you're going to be doing um, to prepare for Easter. Um, If we're going to be with God forever. Um, what is it that needs to increase in us? So I hope this is a good starting point for you to start thinking about how to increase energy in your life and to set aside that day of rest so that you can pause and restore yourself. Okay, so go out and smuggle some hope wherever you can. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life. So welcome back to the B-Sides, and I want to answer a question um, based off of uh, last episode on modesty, and the question was um, distinctly, you know, what if the things that please your spouse in your marriage are sinful, and, you know, what are we supposed to do? Now, 
You know, um, in, in terms of our uh, desires to please our spouse, there are a couple things. What, one resource I encourage couples to, to get, married couples to, to uh, read together, is a book called Holy Sex, which really, um, I think, you know, Dr. Gre- Greg Popcheck wrote that along with his wife, and it's a great collection of information on um, really what the church teaches and the function of sex and sexual relationship. Um, and I, I think, you know, again, you know, you know, everybody's relationship is going to have its own um, character and, you know, struggles and, uh, you know, um, wonder. And so, like, if something is sinful in many ways, even though it might create pleasure in the other person, um, you know, the, you know, the 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 issue is is that it will also um, not be pleasurable for the other person, right? So, you know, just because you know somebody might be into something like let's say like swinging, like having multiple partners, and say, well, this is what I like to do. Well, that is not um, respectful of the other person, right? And, you know, the other person feels obviously disrespected or cheapened. You're bringing in a, a third person into your marriage, um, which is uh, not God, right? And so, you know, with you know, with regard to um, you know the marriage and and the relationship that you have with your spouse, if something is sinful, um, the first thing we really want to take into effect is that um, there is a desire for something, and it is important that we communicate honest honesty to that person. Um, and, and again, the honesty that this is something that I, that makes me feel disrespected, you know, and, and again, that, that usually speaks of a greater level in, in most cases of, of a need for communication because the spouses obviously don't understand, um, you know, that this is disrespectful, right? Well, I want this. Well, this is not, not necessarily making me feel loved. Um, if something is sinful, the other dimension of this is that, you know, if it is, you know, um, something that is inconsistent with the person that, that you or the other person wants to be at the end of their life, your confidence will go down if you participate in these behaviors, right? So there are couples that are going to watch pornography. There are couples that are, um, you know, again, that they, they do a lot of different types of things that, you know, engage in, in, in sinful activities, you're going to find that it reduces the overall pleasure of the relationship and makes it at a level of obsession and anxiety, especially if these things that please your spouse are, um, are sinful, it, it will start to remove the love from the relationship. This is a natural side effect. Now, people do have different types of preferences. And so at the core, though, it, it's communicating what pleases your spouse um, or, you know, you know, what you desire that will please you and, and communicating that to your spouse, right? Because that allows that person to want to do those things for you or towards you. And it could be, you know, very simple things, but it has to do with how we communicate those things. You know, if I'm, you know, you know, making my, you know, spouse demeaned or reduced to an object rather than like we talked about in that episode, a subject, you know, someone to learn from, someone to respect, someone to admire, and instead an object, an object of gratification, well, that, that dehumanizes. 
And so if that is the case, that needs to be communicated. It needs to be communicated from a place of honesty, which I think takes a lot of courage to say, this is not something that I feel comfortable with. This, this is something that, you know, makes me feel unloved and, uh, you know, and, and I do not find this to be enjoyable. And that needs to be said to the other person, right? And it needs to be explained why, right? And if the other person wants this other behavior, wants this other thing in the relationship, whatever it is, whatever behavior it is, um, you know, the question needs to be asked curiously, like, what is, how come? How come this is something that you feel like needs to be brought into our relationship? And, and again, oftentimes the other person really needs to uh, reflect on what their own um, desire is or what their own, um, you, know, uh, you know, whatever their, their own trouble is that's coming into the relationship. Because if the, person, if the person that you're in a relationship with feels love, these aren't issues, right? Because the, the two primary things in the, in the Catholic faith, like especially in, 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 the, in the realm of physical intimacy, is does the other person feel respected? And is the act, especially if it culminates in a sexual act, is it open to life? And, um, you know, so, you know, there is a lot of freedom, uh, believe it or not, in the Catholic sexual world, but in the sense of that first quality of do I feel respected? And again, you know, it's best not to lie because it's going to cheapen the uh, expression of love and it's going to actually make you anxious and take away from your relationship. Um, and it will allow that person to actually, you know, um, hurt you. Um, if you're, you know, in the sense that, uh, you're not being loved, you're being used. And, and so that's something that needs to be communicated. And I would encourage the, the person, um, that, that feels those things really to spend a lot of time in prayer first and foremost. And if you can, you know, to, to, to create a relationship with Christ that is greater than the relationship that you have with your spouse, because you have to, you have to, you know, to navigate that means you have to be in communication with Christ and to do what he tells you to do in relationship with your spouse. But it, it but the truth must be communicated with, with, with love and, and it needs to be communicated so that there can be a repair or there can be a direction so that that person can start to repair whatever it is that's starting to affect you in your marriage and make you feel unloved. Uh, you know, because we, we need to get, we do not want to bring sin into our marriage. Um, we do not want to sow it, especially into um, our intimate life, um, because then instead of it being a gift, it becomes a place where we're taking, right? So, you know, a good rule of thumb is with quote unquote good sex, you feel like you're being given something. And with bad sex, you feel like something's being taken from you. And so the same can be true if people are looking for how to love. If you want to increase in being a good lover, think about how to make a better gift of yourself that you should be giving of yourself to your spouse all day. And same thing, you know, is if you are a selfish person, you're taking from your spouse. You're leaving them with the dishes. You're leaving them to put the kids to bed. You're taking, you know, um, you know, all their attention and you're not giving any to, to them. So, 
um, work on being a better lover. But if you're struggling in your relationship or someone's bringing sin in, first and foremost, focus your attention on God and do what he tells you to do. Be curious about these behaviors and what they mean to this person. And to and be honest. Be honest about the fact that this is not something you feel respectful. Uh, you don't feel respected. And it's important, though, that you be able to figure out what you do want to experience, how you do want to be loved or touched or cared for in your relationship so the person knows what to do, not just what not to do. So hopefully you found that helpful. And keep sending me your questions, and I will do my best to answer them. I do I do check the, the messages you guys send me, and um, sometimes I make whole episodes out of your questions. Sometimes I just add them to the B-sides. So I, um, I, I wish you well, and um, hopefully this uh, sets you up on, on, on uh, addressing whatever difficulties uh, you know, lie um, in, your, in your relationship. So have a great evening, a re- great rest of your day, and smuggle some hope wherever you can.